Well, last words can be profound and important. It's reported by General John Sedgwick of the Union Army that as his soldiers were ducking from the shots of a Confederate sniper that they could not hit an elephant at this distance. And a moment later, he was dead. We think about the words of Todd Beamer in Flight 93 there on September 11th. As it's reported that after some discussion of what they were going to do is that they headed forward and the last words were heard of let's roll. But I remember last words that were maybe more profound in my own life and they're the words of my father. As my dad's last days came on and the last time that we really had a discussion, I remember asking my dad, dad, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to do when you're gone? And the last words that my dad ever spoke to me were this. Your mother, your mother, take care of your mother. And since that day, seven plus years now, I think about the way that it impacts me almost on a daily basis. It's stopping on a Tuesday morning. And I apologize, something is up. The boys have had my iPad here. I can't figure out how how they're making this happen. So... Um, If anybody knows how to keep it from auto-locking, that's what it's doing. So, anyway. Yeah, I can't hit it. So, anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Um, So, anyway. Maybe it's... Anyway, somehow they've got low power mode on that. That's that's why you don't give your kids the, the thing, right? Hey, maybe that'll take care of it. We'll see. All right. Anyway, the beauty of technology, right? Sometimes it can distract you from what's most important. But I think about the ways that uh, those words of my father have impacted my soul. Um, Stopping on a Tuesday morning to pick up the phone and call my mom just to check in. Or maybe it's walking with her in the dark back from the ball game to their car to make sure that she arrives there safely. It's pausing in the middle of maybe a Saturday afternoon just to pray that God would watch over her. Or maybe helping to weigh in on a moment of decision. But the reality is my dad's final words, that they stick with me, that they impact me, that they shape my life even this day. And so today we come to Jesus' final words. And and I think about how his words are so important and what he shares as he gets ready to step off the scene of his earthly ministry and ascend back to the Father in heaven. And as I think through those words, I'm reminded of the fact that the Lord's good will toward us, that we started in Matthew in December of 2019 as we prepared for Christmas and Now we've heard about 60-plus sermons. We've had breaks here and there, but about 60-plus sermons, we've worked our way. And now we come to this final culmination in Matthew uh, of this moment in which kind of helps us understand where has everything in Matthew been headed? What's the point of all that's happening? I mean, I think it's a great question that's often asked, like, what's the the big difference of the resurrection? Like, what's it mean? What's its significance? Like, I'm super pumped that we celebrate Easter, but like, why does it even matter? And Jesus answers for us today in a way to kind of help us recognize or reorient our lives of saying, guys, this is what's most important. This is what it means for me to come and give my life for sinners, to be buried, but also to be raised on the third day. This is what life is about. This is what I want your mission to be. And there is a reminder, the mission of the church is to make disciples. Those are the last words that our Savior leaves with us, saying the mission of the church is to make disciples. And I think maybe three ways in which Jesus shows us that today through these words of Matthew 28, 16 to 20. 
First, it reminds us that Jesus' power is what fuels missions. Secondly, Jesus' priority is what directs missions. And finally, Jesus' presence is what sustains missions. So let's look this morning to the Word of God, reorient our lives. And this morning, in some ways, this is the end. It's the end of Jesus' earthly life, but really it's the beginning of the church. This is the beginning of living out this moment. And that's my hope and prayer for you. Is that some of you may be at a place where it kind of feels like the end. Maybe things have just derailed in life and relationships. Maybe you've entered into retirement and new seasons and you just, man, you're kind of like, I don't know what's really next. Or maybe you just hit a dry patch spiritually. It just kind of feels like, man, you're up against the wall and everything's in. My hope and prayer is by the power of the resurrected Christ today, the day will be a day of new beginnings for you. So let's look today, the end and the beginning. As we come to this first truth, Jesus' power is what fuels missions. It's Jesus' power. Hear that. It's his power that fuels missions. Look what he says beginning in verse 16. Now, remember, this was on, right, we've heard the account of Sunday and he, the, the angel appeared, said, tell the disciples, right, to go and they'll meet Jesus in Galilee. Jesus appears to them, says greetings, and, and they worship him. And he says, listen, go tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. And so this is picking up on that moment, beginning in verse 16 of Matthew 28. Now, the 11 disciples went to, notice what he says here, Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted, right? It's, it's a moment of might ask, like, why Galilee? Like, why not go to Jerusalem? Why not go to the temple? That's where everybody is. Like, let them know this is like, hey, this guy who claimed to be the Messiah that you crucified, God's raised from the dead. But he doesn't. He goes to Galilee. And in some ways, Galilee is like a place that's overlooked. I mean, Galilee is often known in the Bible as Galilee of the Gentiles. It's the place of the unclean. In fact, if you rewind the story of Matthew's been telling all the way back to Matthew chapter 2, in Jesus' early years, guess where you find him? Galilee. He's Jesus of where? Where's he from? Jesus of what? Of Nazareth. Right? Nazareth is not the place that you want to be from. Right? I don't know what kind of family you grew up in or where you were born, where you're raised, but like it's not something that you want. To, you're not proud to tell people you're from Nazareth. Right, I mean, we see a moment, a snapshot of this in John chapter 1 when Philip goes and tells Nathaniel, we've met the Messiah, come meet him, his Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, Nazareth? Can anything, what, good come from Nazareth? And Jesus reminds us and gives hope that no matter where you're born or what family you've come from or where you live, that by the power of God, God can bring good from there. And so there it is, this moment. But now, Jesus beginning his life there in Nazareth, now in Galilee, Jesus finishes out his time in Galilee. I think it's a reminder to us of what God's been trying to do. He's continually pursuing the least of these. He's giving hope to those who seem the most hopeless, the most defeated, the most forgotten. He keeps pushing forward. And and as you're going to see here in just a moment in verse 18, driving forward of saying to us that this hope is not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. It's for people of every nation, tribe, and language. But I think there's a real moment of humility that we need to wrestle with, a moment of honesty in the text. Listen to what it says. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some what? Some doubted. Now, it's interesting, right? We, We need to probably ask the question, who is the they, right? Now, we've already heard the 11 disciples are there, but interestingly, Luke truly 24 records more about some of the the resurrection accounts and and one of the things luke says is it wasn't only the 11 there but there was a large group of people and we know that when we pick up in acts chapter 1 there's 120 that are gathered 
So it's presumably be that, that there's not only the 11 that are there on the mountain, but there's others who have gathered as well. I think it's maybe what Acts makes clear is that the Great Commission isn't just for the apostles, but it's also for the farmer and the fishermen and former tax collectors. It's just this reminder of who all has gathered. But I think also the honesty of this text, it's been refreshing to me. If I could just be really honest with you, it's been refreshing today to hear that word. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But what? Some doubted. I think it has to say to us that it's okay to have doubts. You ever been there? It's got some doubts. You ever had moments when you're just discouraged? Ever had moments when you realize that your faith is not perfect? I think it's beautiful that God doesn't say like, okay, like in verse 18, Jesus doesn't come and say, okay, to everyone here that's not doubting, I want you to go and make disciples. No, there are some there who are doubting. And yet Jesus says to them, I still want you to be a part of my mission. I love that, man. What hope there is for somebody like me. Maybe you feel encouraged by that too. Is that God sees you today, knows you don't have perfect faith. He knows that you got some doubts. He knows you got some hang-ups. And yet he says, I still want you on my team. That is awesome, man. I've shared about that. I, I was a little brother, so I was always picked last. But ever so occasionally, my brothers would pick me before the last person. Right? I don't know if they worked out some little side deal or traded baseball cards or did whatever. But man, that moment when I didn't always just get picked last, I was like, he actually wants me on my team today. This is Jesus saying, I see you. I see your doubts. I know it's not perfect faith. But I want you to know that I want you on my team. I want you to be a part of my mission. That's a beautiful Savior. Amen. That is a merciful God. Reminder is, right? I mean, maybe one of the most famous doubters. We know him by doubting what? Thomas. Like, he, he, can't, he can't escape that epitaph. Right? It's just attached to him. But you know what history records? That doubting Thomas died for his faith. It says to us that there's a God who can use doubters. There's a God who sustains us in our weakness and our doubting and uses us as a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. Hallelujah. Man, I love that. I mean, I, I, I'm broken by it. Like, I mean, some doubt it, but I realize, man, that's me. And so I'm thankful that there's a Savior who uses doubters. And, and so I just hope that encourages you today. That being on mission isn't about your strength, but really it's about the power of Christ what fuels missions it's his strength right i mean because listen there's some doubters among the group and even those that are there have been soon right they just recently were deniers and they've run away i mean this is not again this is not the most elite of elite right let's just be honest about it i mean acts 4 describes them as unschooled and ordinary men but what changed is as they said they recognized they had been with who jesus i love acts 4 man what hope they're unschooled ordinary men but they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Can we say the same about you? You've just been with Jesus. Just time in his presence. Man, what encouragement. It's Jesus' power, guys. It's, it's his strength that fuels us to accomplish the Great Commission. What hope. So listen to this, this epic statement, right? This is kind of where I think all of Matthew has been leading, the culmination of everything as Matthew closes out his gospel. Jesus' last words. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
knows his authority is announced and given. But I, I think in some ways, right, I mean, to hear someone say that I have all, not, not just some, but all authority. And he says it's actually in heaven and it's on earth. Man, like, I think it's in some ways it reminds us right of what the resurrection's actually accomplished. Like these guys have seen this man who was crucified by the Romans on the cross. They know he really died. They know he was buried. And now by the third day, by the power of God, he's raised again. And he's declaring to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Guys, this is the hope. Notice he says there, though, it has been given to me. It's a reminder that his authority flows from the Father. It's the Father who has all authority. But guys, I want to remind you and I as we go on mission, this is what guarantees our mission. This is what guarantees missional success. It is not our finances. It is not our power. It is not our prestige. It is not our knowledge. It is not all the gifts and things that we have. No, what guarantees our mission is, is that our Savior has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's what sustains it. That's what powers our mission. But the reality is that Jesus' authority will constantly collide with other people in your life. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's a girlfriend or boyfriend. Maybe it's a boss or celebrity or government official or just a friend. And I think we have to ask, whose authority is ultimate in your life? Is it you or someone else? Maybe today your life's gotten off focus and maybe this is just a reminder to hear the king say to you, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Submit to me. This is a new kingdom that's here. And there's a new king, a resurrected king. Surrender your life to me. So today, if you are to hear this first truth, know this, that all of this happens when we acknowledge that it's Jesus' authority that's ultimate and not our own. So maybe that just compels you that you need to start maybe just reconsidering some of your life. Like maybe this might compel you because you hear your Savior say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. Maybe it compels you today to say, you know what, it's time to purchase those plane tickets. It's time to pray and get real serious about going. Somewhere leaving this land, this country and going. Maybe for some of you it's starting to wrestle with Oklahoma or Kentucky Changers. Maybe for others here, it's just a recognition that maybe your schedule needs to be readjusted to be a part of maybe some of the different mission projects that happen here. Maybe it's to be a part of a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning and serving and ministering. I want to compel you guys, listen to your Savior. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. So Jesus' power first is what fuels mission. Secondly, Jesus' priority is what directs missions. Listen to his priority, right? If he has all authority in heaven and earth, right? Jesus is boss. In other words, right? He's boss. And so if Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth as the king, then we need to listen to what he has to say. And listen to what he says, verse 19. Go therefore, therefore, in response to my all authority in heaven and earth, go. And he says, guys, the aim of his disciples, the aim of the church, look what he says. Go therefore and do what? What are we supposed to be doing? Making disciples. Might we ask, like, what is a disciple? A disciple is a student, a learner, a follower. But the reality is you've been discipled by people all your life, right? I mean, you probably were discipled maybe by a parent or a grandparent how to cook, right? Maybe Brenda Gantz discipling you now on YouTube. I don't know, right? Maybe you had a teacher that that taught you an instrument or how to sing vocally or maybe to play a sport. Maybe you, you got a new job and somebody there had to teach you the computer system or how to assemble this on the factory line. But whatever it was, you've had people that are discipling you, pouring into you, teaching you. This is what we are called to do. 
And Jesus assures us here and tells us, listen, it is my authority, my power that stands behind this. Therefore, he says, listen, I want you to make disciples, make those who follow me. And maybe we ask, like, well, what characterizes a disciple? Or what's a disciple look like? How are we to accomplish this, Jesus? Right? Maybe there's some questions that we might ask. And I think Jesus gives some clarification to that. Look what he says to them. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I think maybe three things stand out about making disciples or what characterizes the life of a disciple. First, he says, go. Right? They are directed to go, and specifically to go to who? No, who are they going to? All nations, right? All ethnic groups, right? All We might say all people groups. And, and so today, as we look at this map, just for a moment here from the International Mission Board, right, what, what you see on this map is, as you look, right, that there are those in the green that are no longer unreached, right? The, the orange represents people that are engaged. There's some Christian witness there, but they're not been reached. But the red represents people that have no one there that are sharing the gospel with them. And as we look at this map, right, I mean, the reality is we can see green in lots of areas. But, man, as we start to move toward the east, what we see is lots of orange and lots of red. Reminding us that there are those in this room who still must go. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your grandchildren. Maybe it's the child in your Sunday school class that you're preparing Maybe it's the kid that you work with on Wednesday night. Maybe it's your coworker. I don't, I don't know. But there's a call, right, to go and to make disciples. And I think we have to continually keep praying, God, where does it look like for me and my family and for this church to go? That doesn't mean that we don't go to the green areas. Absolutely. They still need those who are going to teach and pour in, right? There's so much false gospel in these green areas. We know that. So that doesn't mean that, like, oh, I can't go anywhere unless it's, unless it's orange or red. No, that's not it at all. But I think it does compel us to continually begin thinking about what does it look like? Jesus said, the last thing he says, go and make disciples of all nations. I can remember, like, if, if that was my dad's last words on that, like, I wonder, like, would I be as faithful as I've been to, like, take care of my mom these last seven plus years? This is my Savior. This is our King, the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. He says, go and make disciples. I mean, can you imagine, like, the reasons why the disciples can't go and accomplish this mission? Like, they might ask, like, Jesus, who are we? Like, what resources do we have? Dude, look how poor we are. We couldn't even, we had to go borrow a donkey for you to ride in on, bro. We didn't have even our own tomb to bury you in. Like, we're poor. Like, what resources do we have? Can you imagine, like, Jesus, you want us to go to all nations? That's, that's the unclean. Like, we're the clean people. They're, Maybe they even think like, well, Jesus, when I look at this map, do you know how many people there are? And like how few we, I mean, like what were like 200 in number? Like, I mean, can you imagine like what difference will we actually make? Can you imagine all their reasons to go or not to go? But guys, Jesus' authority trumps that. His authority is ultimate it's perfect it's it's supreme in all of heaven and earth and so it reminds us that god did not save us to sit god saved us to serve and declare his glory among the nations a church that makes disciples listen a disciple making church a great commission church is a going church would that describe gbc would it describe your sunday school class would it describe your family does it describe you? 
It's the call to go. Listen, that's the first thing he says. So I think it's the first thing that identifies right this moment here of what it looks like to make disciples. We are to be going. But notice, look what he says secondly to them right here, further in verse 19. 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He says secondly, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So baptism is this first step in discipleship, right? This, this step of obedience, of declaring that I am united with Christ. That I am crucified, and as Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Pastor Trey Hunter notes four things that happens with our baptism. I thought, man, we're just really practical and helpful. And I just wanted to briefly just kind of like fire them at you really quickly. Number one, he says we're counted in. You you see, when you are baptized, you are counted amongst the disciples. That's what happens in Acts chapter 2. It says all who received this message were baptized, and about 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. So as you come forward in your baptism, you are being united with the local body of believers. You're counted among us. Secondly, you're counted on. The reality is, as 1 Corinthians 12 says, that you've been given gifts of the Holy Spirit. It says, now the Spirit is given to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, for the common good. Do you know that? That if you are in Christ today, that you have at least one spiritual gift that God has given you to help build up the body of Christ, to accomplish the mission of making disciples amongst all nations. If you aren't using that gift, well, number one, I just want to be transparent, that's sinful. But two, man, we, we need you. To accomplish what God's called us to do. He's uniquely given you the gift that maybe he didn't give me or he didn't give that person in the pew next to you. He gave you that gift to help us accomplish the mission. Are you a part of that? So you're counted in amongst the body of Christ as you're baptized. You're now being counted upon because God has given you a gift of the Holy Spirit. But you also become accountable. Right? What happens when we stop living out the affirmation of that baptism? Right? That good confession that we saw Eli make this morning. Acknowledging his sin and believing that Christ alone was the way of salvation. What happens when we step away from living obediently to Christ and the cross? Well, guess what? The church who also saw our baptism is holding us accountable, saying, Brother or sister, you need to repent. You're not living out the good confession. So there's a sense in which our baptism brings us into a family that now loves us and is willing to speak the truth to us. Fourth and last, it also means that you're counted for. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it says that God has given pastors, elders, shepherds over the church to keep watch over your souls. So God specifically give pastors the responsibility to watch over your soul. This doesn't mean that they're going to know everything about your life. This doesn't mean you've got to confess everything to them. We're not priests in that sense. But the reminder of this is that, listen, it is our call to help walk beside you, to shepherd you, to pray for you, to encourage you. To hold you accountable. That's part of the responsibility, guys. I want you to realize that what the New Testament says, that when you're baptized, you become a part of a family. That's beautiful. You have a new family, a new home. You have new people who are going to love you. You're going to have new spiritual moms and dads. You're going to have new spiritual little brothers and sisters. You're a part of the family. And listen to what Jesus says. Though. I, this is an important statement. I don't have time today, but you need to wrestle with it some. Uh, I just want to point to it and move forward. Look what he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the what? The name. Now, that's important. You can look at any translation you have, but that is very strategic and important that it says name and not names. Notice what he says. It is the name of the Father and of the Holy Spirit, right, or of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It is a reminder that we worship a triune God. One God, one God, right? There's only one name. It doesn't say names. Of, it says there's a name. 
And we're baptized in that one God who's revealed himself in three distinct persons as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a reminder again that we have become a part of a family for, for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who welcomes us. So again, we are, again, what does it mean to make disciples? Well, we're going, we're baptizing, and third, look what he says in verse 20. He says to them now, he says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Disciples are those who hear Jesus' word, they understand it, and they obey it. Is that you? Are you hearing this word? Do you understand this word? By the power of the Holy Spirit, by the gift that God, God's, God's gifted a lot of teachers in this church. We're blessed. I was thankful this morning. I walked through, and guess what? My son is out there getting discipled by a Sunday school teacher learning the books of the Bible. I was like, bam, baby! That's awesome. You know what it was? It was like 8.54. I was like, man, class ain't even started. They're, man, they're in there discipling my kiddo. I'm thankful to be a part of a church. That that's a part of what we're doing. It's not just me. It's not just you as a mom or a dad. Man, we bring our kiddos here. We have a church of people that are gifted in the Holy Spirit who love Christ and desire to disciple them. Man, that's a gift. I hope and pray you relish that. Whether, again, you're a young one or maybe you're an old one. we got some great old Ah, better stop. We have some very wise teachers. I hear you, Miss Cheryl. I love you, sister. I was not thinking I was. All right. But anyway, I love you and in your class. And so, shoo, back to the manuscript, man. That's, that's what happens when you veer off, right? Um, but, but listen to what he says there. Teaching, it's this ongoing action, right? None of us would think today that we've given our kids one lesson and they're good. We realize, man, you've got to keep talking to them, right? It's a challenge just to keep after it. Like, dude, we're here. Are, are you listening? Right? I'm looking at my kiddos right now. Right? Looking and just seeing. Are, are they paying attention? When we're singing, i got to constantly just say, hey, man, let's, let's, let's try. I know right now. Just, just try to read the words. Stay focused. Right? We don't want to just do it one week or one time. Like, it's just this ongoing. That's what part of this teaching is. It's ongoing. Right? It just, again, it's like raising children. We don't give just somebody one lesson and say, oh, man, hey, guess what? Eli, you're good, bro. We heard you. Good luck. Hope you make it the rest of your 60 years or whatever, 80 years of life you got left. Bam, man, keep after it. No. We walk beside one another. Brother, sister, we love you. Let's walk beside one another being obedient. Notice what he says, and this is hard. Teaching them to observe. Notice the statement here. All that I have commanded you. That's not easy, y'all. We know that when we disciple and teach others all that the Word of God has to say, what we know is true about them is the same as true about us. There are going to be things in their life that are going to collide with this Word. Their lifestyle, their decisions, their thoughts of how they write, what makes them most happy or feels best or feels right to them. Again, whatever that may be. And we must stand upon this Word. Because we don't have all authority. There is one who has all authority and He has called us to teach all that is in this Word. And Paul warns that if we shrink back, he will not be pleased with us. Let us not shrink back, brothers and sisters, in teaching all that the Word compels us to do. So maybe where are we to teach obedience to the Word? Well, I think, again, in the church. Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., right? This time of gathering together is unique. You're hearing the Word preached. You're singing the Word. You're praying the Word. You read the Word. And this morning, right, you had an opportunity to see the Word. Right as, as, as we go forward to seeing Eli baptized, it's a reminder of we're seeing the Word lived out. Right As we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's another time when we see the Word being lived out. So I want to compel you, right? But it happens during Sunday school. It happens in Sunday night community groups. right? And maybe that part of Sunday night is intentional to help equip you. Like Maybe you'd say, you know what, Blake, because it's not what happens in the church. It should be happening in our homes. 
teaching all that the Lord's commanded. Maybe say, I'm just not even sure how that starts. Like, where do I begin in my home with, with my, maybe it's my spouse, or maybe I live with a, with a parent, or maybe I, I, I don't know what your situation in life is. Maybe you wonder, what's it even look like for us? I, I want to encourage you to, that's part of what we're doing intentionally on Sunday nights. It gives you an opportunity to see, like, how do we read the word together? How do we pray together? How do we sing together? But it not only happens in the church, in the home, but it happens in the world. And that's part of the reason why Wednesday nights we, we run the buses and we bring kids in here. We want them to hear the gospel. We want to bring the community in. It's why we go to Changers or Oklahoma. It's why, right, Tim and Sally soon are going to hit on that plane and head to Honduras. It's, it's why some of you right now are wrestling with other calls, the missions, and, and what that looks like for you, right? I mean, it's just this call to go and to teach all nations. Right? It's not just here. It's not just our families. It's all nations, Jesus says. We are to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. So again, Jesus' power, it's what fuels missions. Jesus' priority is what directs missions. Missions is who we are. This is it. The aim of the church is to make disciples. The mission of the church is to make disciples. But I'll be honest, like, it feels like a lot. Like, this is hard. And I think that's why it comes to this last truth, with last words that Jesus says, and it's this hope. It's Jesus' presence is what sustains missions. It's his presence. Listen to what he says as he closes out, verse 20. And behold, I am with you, what? Always to the what? To the end of the age. I mean, like, that's a moment of hope. The way the task to make disciples and to be on mission is too great. And Jesus knows that, and you know it by experience, don't you? I, mean, I don't know if you got to raise your hand or not, but I mean, how many of you here have just got a place where you're just burned out, worn out serving the church? So you just, like, you're exhausted. How, how many here, maybe just being honest, you've just had a point like where there was somebody need to serve, but you just felt so inadequate. They're just like, just, I, just, I just can't. Little old me, like I just, somebody else is much better. Guys, I think Jesus understands and knows that. And he says, listen, I want to remind you that there's this great promise and there's this great presence that kind of squishes like this Oreo right, of goodness and delight. Go and make disciples of all nations, right, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And he says before that, remember, I've got all authority in heaven and earth. And below that, remember this, you'll never, ever be alone. You'll never do this alone. I will always be with you. I'm not some king in some far-off land, right? You're not trying to through. I'm with you by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ himself indwells us. This is the hope that we have. Listen, we all of us deal with fear and anxiety. We all, at some point, right, we wonder that people like maybe are going to gonna step away, right, from, from maybe because it's our blunders or our mistakes. We all have these senses of like uh, maybe somebody might abandon us or it just we're going to derail the mission. Guys, let us not forget. Let us hear our Savior say to us his final words in Matthew's gospel. This is what he leaves his disciples with. And behold. I am with you always to the end of the age. What a hope of promise. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Right? It's Christ's power and presence. I mentioned earlier is why Tim and Sally are going. Right? You're going to be hearing more about them going as long-term missionaries to Honduras. Serving there. Helping with the school. Helping train pastors. It's why, Lord willing, in 10 days, Emily and I will get on a plane and head to Kenya. To help train pastors and walk beside missionaries there. It's Christ's power and presence is why others here are going to use their gifts medically to go and tell the people, you know what, there's a greater cure that you need than even that physical sickness, and it is the redemption and forgiveness of your sins. 
Christ's power and presence is what compels people to serve weekly here, drive buses and cook food and to minister in all kinds of ways, teach classes and do that. Christ's power and presence is what compels some of you with construction skills to go out and let people know there is hope. There is a God who sees you. And we are here to remind you. Our physical presence is a reminder of the invisible God who has not forgotten or forsaken you. See, I could go on and on, but I want you to know that this church, listen, it is to be our driving heart to glorify the name of our Savior amongst all nations. Let's start here in Greensburg, but let's not end here in Greensburg. Amen? Let's go and make disciples of all nations. How? In the authority of our King. It's His power that will strengthen and fuel our mission. It's His priority, right, that He directs what we do, and he says, make disciples. That's what is going to be our heartbeat, because guess what? It's his authority, not our own. And third, listen, all of us are going to shrink back because we're fear, anxiety. We struggle to believe. We have doubts. We have weaknesses, all of that. But it's a reminder we'll never, ever do it alone because of Christ's presence with us. So for some of us, the title of the sermon, the beginning and the end, or the end and the beginning, for some of you today, it's a beginning. It's time to hear the gospel and to respond. The beginning of a new life, just as Eli shared, right? You've been wrestling maybe for a year or two years or longer. The reality is they may not be present in this congregation, but you've got grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, others, people in this class, in this church, right, who have been praying for you, for your soul, that you might be born again, that you might come out of darkness into light. For others of you, this new beginning, right, the end of one season, beginning of the next, it's going to be a call to answer what God's calling you to do. Yes, maybe it is to go to the nations, maybe short term or long term. Maybe it's to step up and begin serving here in the church in some way. Maybe it is to begin being a part of a mission of this church here to reach out. And so maybe practical things like, hey, when they have a, they are part of the fall festival or Halloween, right, in the community, I'm going to go and be a part of that. I'm going to tell you as a family of six, thank you last night. That was a blessing. To be able to pull up my family and be able to get six hot dogs and bottled waters and fudge rounds and nice chips. Those were nice. But man, I tell you what encouraged me as much as anything is it was cold and raining. And man, to see an absolute squad of you guys out there. That's legit, man. So I, I want you to know there's just all kinds of opportunities for you to be a part, right? And for some of you, the beginning is it's time for you and your spouse to begin praying together. It's time to open up the Word of God in your homes. Is it going to be perfect? No. Come and join me and my family. You'll realize, well, if that's what it looks like, we can try something. It, it, it can't be much worse than that. Maybe you're insecure of like, I just, Blake, I want to start, but I'm just not sure what it looks like. Again, I invite you to come. Join our family. Come Sunday nights. Join our church family. That's part of what we're doing, just of what it can be looking like in your home. Again, today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, let this be a beginning. The end of one thing, but the beginning of another. Why? Because of who Christ is. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Man, Lord, it has been an absolute honor and a privilege to preach through Matthew's gospel. Thank you, God, that you would sustain this church. You would give us such favor that since December of 2019, we could proclaim this word of Matthew. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray now that the resurrected Christ would strengthen this church body to accomplish the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Strengthen us, Lord, by the power of your spirit and let us be faithful and obedient to our king who has all authority in heaven and on earth. We pray this for the glory of his name alone. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.